We have been, um, the last few weeks, we've been looking at uh, uh, curious Old Testament stories. Uh, stories, and they're, they're the ones that are curious to me. <laughs> so that's how I've been picking those. Um, and uh, John, John today asked me what... Uh, what uh, obscure Bible ref- Bible chapter we're going to be looking at today? <laughs> so I told him, "Well, we're going to be looking at Josiah and Jehoiakim." Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word, uh, and and some of it uh, does seem obscure. Uh, there are passages that are readily familiar to us, like John three sixteen and Psalm twenty three, and then there are other passages, perhaps like the passages we're going to be looking at today, that uh, I don't remember reading that before. Um, but we thank you for your word. We know that all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, and rebuking in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we trust, Lord, that you would use uh, these passages today that we're going to look at, even though they may be obscure and somewhat unfamiliar, that you would use this to uh, train us and sharpen us in righteousness and in being the kind of people uh, that you have designed us, created us to be, and uh, and that's where the joy is found, too. So we're thankful for that. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, our subject today is the Word of God. Um, that was our subject two weeks ago, too. Two weeks ago, though, we were talking about the qualities of the Word of God. The focus of today's message is our response to the Word of God, our response to the Word of God. And we're going to be looking at the man who wept at the Word and the man who burned it. I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Second Chronicles chapter 34. Second Chronicles 34, if you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 414. Page 414. Second Chronicles 34. We have two accounts today in two separate chapters. So we'll read some of the verses, and I'm going to summarize some of the verses as well. The two stories have to do with two kings, and the two kings are father and son. The first king is Josiah. His, the second king is Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim was the son of Josiah. Um, now, as we get into Josiah here in Second Chronicles 34, I'd love to tell you, take time to tell you about Josiah's ancestry, but we don't have time for that. Except I will tell you this, that his grandfather's name was Manasseh. Uh, Manasseh was the longest serving king of all 42 kings of Judah and Israel. And he was, if you can quantify such things, the wickedest king of all Judea and Israel as well. That was Josiah's grandfather. His father was Ammon, who was also a bad king, but he died after only two years as king, so he wasn't able to do as much damage. Which brings us then to Josiah, who became king when he was eight years old. Last week we talked about Joash, who became king when he was seven. Josiah is the other boy king, and he became king when he was eight. So let's look at verses one through three. Josiah was eight years old when he became king and reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the Lord's sight and walked in the ways of his ancestor David. He did not turn aside to the right or the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor David. And in the twelfth year, he began to cleanse Judah and Jerusalem of the high places the Asherah poles, the carved images, and the cast images. Let's just stop there. We are given here, in these first three verses, God's evaluation of Josiah 
as king. And it says that he did what was right in God's eyes. He did what was right in God's eyes. Uh, This has not been the case in the kingdom of Judah for almost 60 years. And verse 2 emphasizes just how righteous Josiah was with two additional clauses where it says he did what was right in the Lord's sight. He walked in the ways of his ancestor David and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. The writer of Chronicles is emphasizing to us how godly a man Josiah was. He was a godly man. He was a devout man. He was a righteous man and he was a welcome a welcome uh, king after the previous two reigns of his grandfather Manasseh and his father Ammon. Well, verses 3 through 7, we're not going to read them, but I'm going to tell you, verses 3 through 7 are filled with destruction. Uh, For the last 57 plus years, Josiah's father and grandfather have been sponsoring and promoting and leading the people of Judah into false worship, into idolatry, into uh, sin. And all kinds of idolatrous paraphernalia, graffitis, Jerusalem, and the rest of the country. And so Josiah now, a godly king, goes on a great purge. It's an energetic purge on his part. If we would read this paragraph, we would encounter such vivid words like tore down, chopped down, shattered, crushed, scattered, burned, and smashed. In this way, he was cleansing his kingdom of all of these altars, uh, all of these uh, false statues, and so on and so forth. He's cleansing his kingdom. Godly men and godly women seek to cleanse their lives of things that contaminate. In a way, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls us to be like Josiah when he says, if if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Godly men and women seek to cleanse their lives of things that contaminate, that cause to sin. Well, then look at verse 8. Let me read verse 8. In the 18th year of his reign, in order to cleanse the land and the temple, Josiah sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, along with Messiah, the governor of the city, and the court historian Joah, son of Joahaz, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. The names aren't quite so important. What is important is that he is restoring the temple of God. Note Josiah's spiritual growth and progression. In his eighth year as king, When he was still a youth, he began to seek the Lord, we read. We read that in his 12th year, he began to cleanse the land of all of its idolatry. And now in his 18th year as king, he begins to repair the temple. No doubt after 57 years of neglect and or misuse, the temple was in bad shape. Well, godly men and women make worship a priority, and that's what Josiah is doing. Now, during the renovation of the temple... They find a book. The priest there, Hilkiah, finds a book, and it's the book of the Law of the Moses. The Law of Moses. Um, it's been found. It had probably been lost. It may have been even hidden uh, during the reigns of these evil kings, uh, hidden in such a way that it was eventually lost. Have you ever, you know, put something in a safe place and then you can't remember exactly where that safe place is at? That could have happened here with the, the law of Moses, but it's been, it now is found. So let's read about the discovery, beginning with verse 14. 14, when they brought out the money that had been deposited in the Lord's temple, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord written by the hand of Moses. Consequently, Hilkiah told Shaphan, 
the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. And he gave the book to Shaphan. Shaphan took the book to the king and also reported, your servants are doing all that was placed in their hands. They have emptied out the money that was found in the Lord's temple and have put it into the hand of the overseers and the hand of those doing the work of renovation. Then Shaphan, the court secretary, told the king, Hilkiah the priest gave me a book, and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. So now let's read verses 19 to 21 about the effect that the reading of the book of the the law of the Lord had on Josiah. Verse 19, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. Then he commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Abdon, son of Micah, Shaphan, the court secretary, and the king's servant, Isaiah, go ask Yahweh for me and for those remaining in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that was found. For great is the Lord's wrath that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord in order to do everything written in this book. So notice how Josiah responds to the reading of the word of God to him. He tears his clothes. He tears his clothes, which in that culture was a sign of great sorrow, of great sorrow. Why does he do this? Because he understands from God's word that Judah is still steeped in much sin, despite all of his reforms, that they are out of step with the Lord and that they have centuries of sin accrued to their account. And that God, he concludes, therefore, that God must be good and angry with them. And so he sends, he sends the high priest and others to inquire of the Lord further into his will. What happens then is this delegation goes to a prophetess. Uh, her name is Huldah. And Huldah receives a word from the Lord and says this. Look at verse 23. Huldah said to them, This is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says. Say to the man who sent you to me, This is what Yahweh says, I am about to bring disaster on this place and on its inhabitants, fulfilling all the curses written in the book that they read in the presence of the king of Judah, because they have abandoned me and burned incense to other gods in order to provoke me with all the works of their hands. My wrath will be poured out on this place and it will not be quenched. But say this to the king of Judah who sent you to ask Yahweh, this is what Yahweh the God of Israel says, as for the words that you heard, Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, and because you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I myself have heard, this is the Lord's declaration, I will indeed gather you to your fathers and you will be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster that I am bringing on this place and on its inhabitants. And they reported this to the king. In sum, summarizing here, God is ready to judge. That's what Halder reports. God is ready to judge, but because of Josiah's humble response to the reading of the Lord's word, because he wept before God, God says he is going to postpone this inevitable judgment against Judah. He's going to postpone it until after the lifetime of Josiah, until after Josiah is gathered to his fathers in peace. And then the rest of the chapter tells us that Josiah then read the newly found book of the law of Moses to the rest of the people of Judah, and he led them into a covenant to keep all the Lord's commands and decrees and statutes. So Josiah responds positively to the reading of the word of the Lord. Now, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Jeremiah chapter 36. 
Jeremiah 36, page 730 in your pew Bible. We're going to read about his son 16 to 17 years later. His son now is on the throne of Judah, Jehoiakim. And we'll find some interesting parallels and some stark contrasts with what we just read about Josiah. Unlike his father Josiah, Jehoiakim is not a godly king. So let's begin reading with verse 1. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, to the prophet Jeremiah. This is the word of the Lord. Verse 2, Take a scroll and write on it all the words I have spoken to you concerning Israel, Judah, and all the nations from the time I first spoke to you during Josiah's reign until today. Perhaps when the house of Judah hears about all the disaster I am planning to bring on them, each one of them will turn from his evil way. Then I will forgive their wrongdoing and their sin. So Jeremiah summoned Baruch, son of Neriah. At Jeremiah's dictation, Baruch wrote on a scroll all the words the Lord had spoken to Jeremiah. So Jeremiah is a prophet of the Lord, and God says, I want you to write down everything I've told you about all the judgments that are to come on Judah and all the nations and so forth. I want you to write it down on a scroll. And the reason I want you to write it down is because I want you to read it in the presence of of uh, the people of Judah so that maybe they will turn from their evil ways and I can forgive them and I can, put, put, you know, I can kick the can down the road, if you will, with regards, to the, with regards to this impending judgment. So Jeremiah gets his uh, uh, disciple, if you will, Baruch, and dicta- dictates this all to uh, Baruch. Baruch writes it down. And then let me just summarize what happens next. Jeremiah is not allowed at the temple. He has a restraining order, if you will, Uh, against him. He cannot go to the temple. It was likely put in place by King Jehoiakim himself. Um, So Jeremiah says to Baruch, I want you to go to the temple on a fast day, on a day when they're fasting for whatever, and I want you to take a position where the people can hear you, and I want you to read out what I've just dictated you from the Lord. And that's what happens. About a year later, uh, a fast day is proclaimed in Judah, and so Baruch goes to the temple and he reads aloud to the people. Well, there's one man in particular, his name is Micaiah. Micaiah hears it and he runs, he hears what Baruch reads, that's from Jeremiah, that's from the Lord, and Micaiah runs to the, to the, to the, to the palace of the king. And he goes into one of the offices there, the office of Gemariah, who's a scribe, and he, sa- and he reports what has just happened. Um, well, to these, to these officials of the king. And the officials say, go get, Baruch, go get Baruch and bring him here. And so they bring Baruch to them. Uh, look at verse 15 then. So Baruch comes to these officials of the king, and verse 15, they said to him, to Baruch, sit down and read it in our hearing. So Baruch read it in their hearing. When they heard all the words, they turned to each other in fear and said to Baruch, we must surely tell the king all these things. So these men, these officials of the king, tremble at the word of the Lord. They're fearful at what they hear. Well, what happens next is they verify, is this truly the word of the Lord? Did this truly come from his prophet Jeremiah? Baruch verifies, yes, it did. Um, and, um, and so now let's read verses ni- verse 19 to the end. Let's see what happens. Uh, beginning with verse 19. The officials said to Baruch, you and Jeremiah must hide yourselves and tell no one where you are. They're going to, see, they're going to present the word of the Lord here to the king. And they know that the king is probably not going to be favorably disposed to what they hear. And, they're going to, and he's going to inquire 
where did you get this? <laughs> and so they're already advising Jeremiah and Baruch, hide yourself. Verse 20, then they came to the king at the courtyard, having deposited the scroll in the chamber of Elisha the scribe. They're not even, they're not even taking the scroll in with them to the king. Uh, they're keeping it back for safekeeping. The, uh, we have a little bit of foreshadowing here. They're uncertain of how the king is going to respond. Uh, verse 21, the king, uh, oh, well, continuing in verse 20, having deposited the scroll in the chamber of Elisha the scribe, and they reported everything in the hearing of the king. Well, the king sent Jehudai to get the scroll, and he took it from the chamber of Elisha the scribe, Jehudai then read it in the hearing of the king and all the officials who were standing by the king. Since it was the ninth month, the king was sitting in his winter quarters with a fire burning in front of him. As soon as Jehudai would read three or four columns, Jehoiakim would cut the scroll with a scribe's knife, and he would throw the columns into the blazing fire until the entire scroll was consumed by the fire in the brazier. As they heard all these words, the king and all of his servants did not become terrified or tear their garments. Even though Elnathan, Deliah, and Gemariah had urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. Then the king commanded Jeremiel, the king's son, Sariah, son of Azrael, and Shalemiah, son of Abdiel, to seize Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet, but the Lord had hidden them. So Jehoiakim does not respond positively to the reading of the word. Instead, he has it burned. Verse 27, after the king had burned the scroll with the words Baruch had written at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came again to Jeremiah, take another scroll and once again write on it the very words that were on the original scroll that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, burned. You are to proclaim concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, this is what the Lord says, you have burned the scroll saying, why have you written on it? The king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and cause it to be without man or beast. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah. He will have no one to sit on David's throne, and his corpse will be thrown out to be exposed to the heat of day and the frost of night. I will punish him as descendants and his officers for their wrongdoing. I will bring on them, on the residents of Jerusalem, and on the men of Judah all the disaster which I warned them about, and they did not listen. So that's what Jeremiah did. We'll just stop there. That's what Jeremiah did. Okay, so we have these two accounts took a while to get through these two accounts. On the one hand, Josiah, who responds positively to the word of the Lord. And on the other hand, Jehoiakim, who responds not so positively to the reading of the word of the Lord. So now we're set up to uh, draw out three points about God and his word. And the first point is this. It's not that, it's this. God graciously confronts people through his word. God graciously confronts people through his word. Both of these guys are confronted with the word of the word of God. For Josiah, the scroll of Moses is found in the temple. For Jehoiakim, the scroll of the Lord's prophet Jeremiah has been freshly inscribed. God confronts both with his word. God communicates his word to people. God communicates his word to people. By God's providence, you are here today being put in contact with the word of God. You've been put in contact with 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Marcy read that to us. You have been put in touch with uh, the other passage she read, John 14. We looked at Colossians 1, and now we're looking at these two passages. By God's providence, you have been put in contact with the word of God. 
Whenever God's word confronts you, consider it grace. Whenever God's word confronts you, consider it grace. Now, God's word comes to us, and it has, it has multiple effects on us. Sometimes it encourages us. Sometimes it instructs us. Sometimes it teaches us. Sometimes it rebukes us. Sometimes it confronts us because it tells us, it, it talks about sin, and we see in it, oh, that's what I'm doing, or that's, that's what I, I'm not doing and I should be doing. That's sin, and the Word of God confronts us that way. And it confronts us with the outcome of our sin if we don't change our ways. So sometimes the Word of God confronts us. That passage in 2, Corinthians, uh, 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture is God-breathing, is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness. God's word does multiple things. But however it comes to us, even when it confronts us, it's grace. It's grace. Consider it grace because that's what it is. Sometimes it may feel painful. It may feel in your face, but it's still grace. We would trip on our merry way to hell were it not for the fact that God tells us that we are in fact on our way to hell because of our sins. But he tells us this so that we will put our faith in Christ and be saved. And our destination will be so much different. Sometimes the loving thing you do for your friend or for your child or for your spouse is to tell them that the thing that they are doing right now is stupid (laughs) or it's wrong or it's going to cause pain. Sometimes that is a loving thing to do. When a child runs out into the street, you don't think, oh, I don't want to shatter their confidence by telling them that that's the wrong thing to do. You don't do that. You yell at them, hey, get back here. What are you doing? It's for their good. It's for their good. And the word of God is like that too. It tells us things that are for our good. Sometimes it doesn't feel good, but it's for our good. To turn away from a course that brings foolishness and disaster. Whenever God confronts you with your sin, consider it grace. Understand that it's God's mercy trying to get you to turn from your sin, to turn to wisdom. God's confrontation of both Josiah and Jehoiakim is a harsh confrontation, but it's also a gracious confrontation. Josiah profits by it. Jehoiakim does not. But God's design is that he would profit by it. Jeremiah chapter 36, verse 3 The goal is that they would turn, is that Jehoiakim and Judah would turn from their evil ways and that he might forgive them. That's the goal. Every time God brings the word to your attention, it's grace. It's grace. So point one, God graciously confronts people through his word. Point number two, people respond to God's word in one of two different ways. And I may be over, I may be generalizing here. But people respond to God's word in one of two different ways. Both men here are confronted with the written word of God, but they respond in very different ways. Josiah tore his clothes in sorrow. And we're specifically told that Jehoiakim and his officials did not tear their garments. Uh, It's interesting that the narrator tells us that they didn't do this. It's as if to say, this is what the king should have done, but he didn't do it. Instead of Jehoiakim tearing his clothes, he tears the word. He tears the word apart. He cuts it apart and throws it into the fire. Why did Josiah tear his clothes? Because he believed the word. 
He, he heard from the Lord in his word how Judah was supposed to live, and he also heard what would happen if Judah didn't live that way, and so he knew from God's word that the wrath of God was very near. He believed that God's word was truly God's word, that it was a word from God. After hearing God's word, Josiah sends to a prophetess to find out more, to inquire further of the Lord. He wants to find out more. Jehoiakim is just the opposite. He hears from the Lord, Lord, and he wants to erase what he just heard by burning it in the fire. Josiah, impressed by the word of the Lord, gathers the population of Judah together to also lead them in obedience to God's word. He wants more people to believe in God's word. Jehoiakim is just the opposite. Let's find those two guys who do believe in God's word and let's get rid of them, Jeremiah and Baruch. These two had very different attitudes to God's word. Josiah's attitude is, the word is king. Jehoiakim's attitude is, I am king. What is your attitude to God's word? Is it God is king? Or is it I am king? Is your attitude God's word is master of my life? Or is your attitude I am master of my life? And if your answer goes something like this, uh, God's word is master of my life a lot of the time when it makes sense to me, (laughs) then it's really in that latter category of I am master of my life. I will determine, I will arbitrate every single instruction in the word of the Lord. I will arbitrate every verse and I will decide whether it applies good to my life or if it's not for my life right now. When you decide which of the word you will comply with and which you won't comply with, even if it's 95%, 5%, you are making yourself judge and jury on the word of God. Turn to Isaiah 66, if you will, page 686 in the Pew Bible. Isaiah 66, page 686. I want to take a minute here to look at a couple of verses. Verse 1 talks about heaven and earth. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house could you possibly build for me and what place could, you, could be my home? Talking about the greatness of God. God is the creator of all things and heaven is his throne and the earth is like his footstool. That's how big, that's how magnificent, that's how God dominates everything. That's, what, that's the relation of the universe in, in comparison to God. God is enormous. The universe is little. Verse 2 My hand made all these things, and so they all came into being. This is the Lord's declaration. Everything in heaven, everything in the universe and heaven and earth is God's handiwork. Everything in heaven and earth owes its being to God. And then look at the rest of verse 2. I will look favorably on this kind of person, one who is humble, submissive in spirit, and trembles at my word. God talks about creation. Uh, talks about creation. I'm creator of heavens and earth. I'm bigger than it all. The earth is my footstool. Heaven is my throne. And what do I look for? What do I delight in? What, What do I look for? I look for that person who is humble and submissive in spirit and trembles at my word. That's what I delight in. And all this stuff that I made, you know what I'm looking for? You know what I delight in? You know what I favor? It's the person who responds to my word, who trembles at my word. 
They recognize it for what it is. They are sensitive to it. They're not callous. They're ready to obey. Josiah is one who trembled at the word of the Lord. Josiah tore his clothes. The men who first heard Baruch read the scroll, and they responded with fear. But Jehoiakim and his officials did not tremble. They did not fear. It's a remarkable, remarkable passage. God says, I made heaven and earth, and I am God over it. But this is what I look for. Those who love my word and respond to my word, those who tremble at it. Do you tremble at God's word? Do you tremble at God's word? In other words, are you responsive to it? And I, in a positive way. I guess Jehoiakim was responsive to, responsive to it too. He burned it. Are you, do you, are you responsive to God's word in a positive way? Look at the end of verse 3 there in Isaiah 66. All these have chosen their ways and delight in their detestable practices. So I will choose their punishment and I will bring on them what they dread. People are free to choose their own ways. You are free to choose your own way, but you are not free to choose the consequences of the way that you choose. (laughs) You can choose to ignore the word of the Lord, but then God will choose the consequence of that for you. You can choose to tremble at the word of the Lord and God will choose the consequence of that for you as well. Do you choose God's way only when it is convenient for you? Or have you committed yourself to responding to the word of God positively no matter what it is? Jehoiakim wouldn't tear his clothes, but he did tear the scroll. People still tear at God's word today in various ways. I told you a couple weeks ago, Diocletian, the Roman emperor, tried to destroy it. Bloody Mary of England tried to destroy it. Some countries today try to completely exterminate the word from their borders. Thomas Jefferson famously removed all the miraculous portions of Scripture, of the Gospels. Many people today tear at Scripture by trying to discredit it, by saying that it's backwards, that it's quaint, that it's irrelevant, uh, that science has demonstrated it to be wrong. And we also ourselves need to be careful that when it confronts us with something that God says is wrong and it's it's a habit that we're in, we need to be careful that we don't rationalize it away, you know, rationalize scripture to say something that it doesn't say. That's a form of tearing at the word of God. People respond to God's word in two different ways. Do you submit to it or do you try to control it? Whether to destroy it or nullify its influence or to ignore it or manipulate it or modify it, do you tremble at it or are you unmoved by the word of God? Do you welcome it or do you reject it? 1 Thessalonians 2.13 This is why we constantly thank God because when you received the message about God that you heard from us, you welcomed it. Not as a human message, but as it truly is the message of God. That's the right attitude. That's the right response, welcoming it as God's very words. God deals with people according to their response to his words. God deals with people according to their response to his word. God responded to Josiah's response to his word, and he also responded to Jehoiakim's response to his word. His response to Josiah was to postpone the imminent judgment that was coming. He postponed it until after Josiah's lifetime. God's response to Jehoiakim's response was different. He said Jehoiakim would have no son on his throne. 
Um, and the disaster that was postponed for Josiah would not be postponed or stopped in the least for Jehoiakim. It was coming fast and no breaks would be applied to it. It's pretty simple. Seek to live by the word. Experience the blessing of the Lord. If you seek to live by the word, you will experience the blessing of the Lord. If you ignore the word, you will experience the discipline of the Lord. Isaiah 48:18 says, If only you had paid attention to my commands, the Lord is speaking. If only you had paid attention to my commands, then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. If only you'd paid attention. If only you'd paid attention. Well, look at those three points on your outline there. One, God confronts people with his word. Two, people respond to God's word in two different ways, positively or negatively. Three, God deals with people according to their response to his word. The point you have control over is point number two. How you respond. I'm hoping you see the wisdom in responding to the word of God positively. That is by humbling yourself before it. By submitting wholeheartedly to it, to every bit of it. By recognizing that it is God's word to you. By not seeing yourself as over God's word, but as under it. By coming to it with the attitude that God's word is king, not with the attitude that you are king. Now, let me close with this thought. Let's say that your attitude is right. And to you, the word of God is king. And you strive to keep it. What happens when you fail? What happens when you sin? Let's remember that we are saved by trusting the one who has kept the word perfectly, Jesus Christ. Let's remember it's not our righteousness that saved us, but it's whose righteousness? Who? Christ's righteousness. I just want to see if you're still with me. It's Christ's righteousness. Let's um, look at this verse, 1 John 2, 1 to 2. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. That's why I'm writing, so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the propitiation, the atonement for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. We strive to live according to God's word, but when we fall, when we fail, we have an advocate. We have one who has atoned for our sins, Jesus Christ. He is your propitiation. He is the atoning sacrifice for your sins if your faith is in him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. It truly is grace to us. We learn so many things in there that we would not know apart from the scriptures. And uh, so many important things. So many ultimately important things. We deal a lot in trivialities uh, in our lives. We deal with important things too, but nothing is so important as to, as, as to what our eternal destiny might be. My prayer is that everyone in this room would have their faith and put their faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, and so be saved. Help us to respond positively to your word. Help us to be those who tremble at your word, who are sensitive to it, responsive, responsive to it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.